May God bless us this morning by his word and his spirit, leading us to see him in spirit and in truth. Bless us, Lord God. Amen. Howdy. Good to see everybody today. Uh, and wanted to let you all know, uh, I decided to pick the absolute most confusing of the three passages we had today to preach on. So you're welcome. Every time that I'm looking at which epistles of Paul that we're going to have, and it's sort of like you go through some of them, and you're like, okay, Galatians, that's, that's not really too bad. Ephesians, I, I, I like those pretty well. Thessalonians, even like Second Timothy. It's like even when he has to tell him, hey, your stomach's a little upset, go drink some wine, you'll be fine. Hey, I got that one down, all right? Those are good. But Romans, oh my word. It's like literally the, the, the commentary said that even our passage, chapter 5, is complex, compressed, and controversial. So even the commentaries say it's complicated, dense, and confusing. So just so you know, this is the commentary on just the first half of Romans. Yeah. Oh, my word. So, of course, I decide that's what I'm going to preach on today. I can't blame Pastor Tyler for this one. I love to blame him other times, but I can't blame him on this one. And with it, though, is that we oftentimes take this idea of justification by faith. And we're like, okay, I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm saved. Okay, good, I got Romans down. And then we just kind of go from there. How many people, when we were listening to the epistle lesson, were just kind of like, thank you, the honest people. Okay, good. With that, because let's be honest, it is wordy. It really is. The thing with it is that also is that we get so used to just knowing the idea and not wondering what it's saying specifically. Now, just to make sure there's some context, in Rome, the church had been a mixture of both the Jewish uh, believers and the Gentile believers. But the problem was is that the anti-Semitism that was happening at that time, there were times when the Jews would be pushed out of Rome and then times where they'd be allowed to come back. Well, the problem is, is that you're gone for so long. What happened to the church in Rome? It became very, very Gentile. And so a lot of the assumptions from the Jews were not necessarily a part of that church now. And so they come back and they see that the church doesn't follow the law the same way that they had done. And so there's this big question about how the law plays out in the life of the believers. And Paul needs to tackle that. The thing is, is that we end up seeing here a new view on salvation, hope, faith. All these ideas that don't bring us back to trusting the law for what gives us hope. Now, we go back and, and, and we look at this whole idea about, uh, about Adam. And he kind of goes on and on about it for a little bit. And it's like 16 chapters. It's sort of like whenever my sister and I, we were kids, and uh, my mom didn't want to uh, spank us, so she would make sure she talked to us uh, until she thought that we got it. And an hour and a half later, we're literally looking at her just saying, just spank us. We cannot do this anymore. She found the right discipline, though. I mean, she was a smart woman, that's for sure. With it, though, is this ends up going into this whole excursus for a few chapters about Adam. See, there's no more of this blaming Eve for all this stuff. No, just lay it right on Adam's shoulders. Is that he brought condemnation into the world. We end up seeing this as not just a brokenness, like 
we're the descendants of Adam, so therefore we're stuck in it. Oh no, we actively participate in that sinfulness ourselves. We end up going through the same stupid type of decisions, even if we're not sitting there in a garden like Adam. It says, the trespass is not the same as Adam's. You know what? That's okay. We may not be in a garden trying to decide which fruit to eat. We've got our own issues that we end up doing. And with this is it keeps trying to bring us back to this idea of why do you keep using the law as what you explain away as your source of hope or the thing to blame? Because in it, it also talks about the fact that they didn't have all the, you know, Ten Commandments between Adam and Moses. And so sometimes you could even blame and say, you know what? When they didn't have all those laws there, I mean, they weren't doing all these terrible things because they weren't breaking any laws. Do we really have to have something spelled out for us in order to know if something is right or wrong? And oftentimes that's what ends up getting missed by people is that oftentimes they would want to blame all the different laws to say that because this law existed, that's why we have so many problems. But it's not the laws themselves that are the problem. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Yes, I quoted Taylor Swift. You're welcome. Just like a congressperson trying to be relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Did anybody get tickets? No, okay, okay, I know, right? Oh, my word. Oh, yeah, just give it up. Exactly. I was hoping to, no, never mind. So with that, if you've got tickets, Tay-Tay, you find me. Okay, so with this, though, is the idea of the free gift, of what is grace. It's oftentimes taken as this event that is different from everything else about God. See, sometimes we take the cross And we look at it almost as if it's this one event that somehow, you know, forces God out of the desire to somehow, like, punish us. It's like we see it as as this sort of exception. You know, God's standing up there like, you know, I really hate y'all, but, you know, my son died for you, so I'm kind of stuck with you. We oftentimes miss the fact that this is the gift of grace from God, the same God who had brought in so much hope for Abel, for Noah, for Melchizedek, for Moses, for the priests, the kings, the prophets, to tell them, follow me by faith, I am your life. And yet, we end up taking the juxtaposition, the comparison between Adam and Jesus, and and we sometimes want to think that God before that just hated us instead of pausing to realize how many times he had to forgive us time and time again. We sometimes take this God, and we're the ones creating the issues with the laws, and we somehow think that this God is looking for a loophole that somehow we're going to fall through, and he's going to miss us. But this idea of what grace is truly apart from all that this ends up changing our concept of what legacy that we have because the legacy that we got from adam was a pretty poor legacy the idea of kind of going our own way the the idea that we know better than what it is that god desires but the thing is is that that legacy keeps getting passed down and passed down and passed down and then we end up living into it ourselves.
But that legacy is something that Jesus came in order to destroy, to break, to reformat. And yet, even so, we still are so stuck in our way of looking at things that we ended up taking the perfect human being and destroying him. Instead of actually seeing and embracing this better way of looking at things, of being, instead we take him and we crucify him. See, that's the legacy that we start out with, is that we don't pause to think, could we be the problem? See, whenever we think about the word justification, okay, and we've got this five-syllable word, and it's a nice churchy word, you know, we say it several times, justification, sanctification, and, you know, once you get through the first two syllables, you're kind of like, okay, great, it's that word again. And, and all we really think to ourselves is, okay, God saved us, that's great. What does justified mean whenever we usually use it? Justified is saying you're looking for an excuse for something. You're looking for an excuse what is God looking for an excuse to do? See, the thing is, is that for all this discussion about what it is to be justified, we keep forgetting that it's the loving God that is finding a justifying way to bring us into his family. He's justifying why we get to be a part of him. We look for a reason, and God has already created it. So you see, we have this whole legacy, this whole story of how many things we have broken in this world, and then yet God is going to say, you're going to be a part of my family? We even end up taking the perfect person and crucifying him, and God is still going to say, you get to be a part of my family. How does that make any sense? And, and it reminds me about this really feel-good movie uh, from the Hallmark Channel, uh, Throw Mama from a Train, Okay. I know, I know, feel good, everything inside. I think Brad Paisley wrote a song for it. But with it is in this, Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito are both having issues in their life, and Billy Crystal's got an ex-wife, and Danny DeVito's got mother issues. And the thing is, is that somehow Danny DeVito gets something confused, and he comes up and says, hey, I took care of your problem. And so Billy Crystal spends this whole movie like, oh no, he went and offed my wife, and now he expects me to come and take care of his mom? And it's this whole thing of guilt and being overwhelmed, and what are you going to do? And, and finally at the end, he says like, look, I can't do this. You might want to just wrap me out to the cops, I get it, but I, there's nothing else, I just can't go along with this at all. So you pause, and you get to, toward the end of the movie, and you're like, well, then what is even going to be the finale? How is anything good going to come out of this? When you pause and then realize that his wife is not actually dead. See, the thing is, is that Billy Crystal's stupid comments and Danny DeVito's crazy plans all of these end up leading them down these terrible, terrible paths. And yet, what is the only way that it could possibly get fixed? I have no idea. Well, that's great. Guess what? It's completely undone. You see, we ended up crucifying a Messiah, and God came and undid what we did. 
See, that's the thing about this is that instead of just leaving the conclusion to the story about our brokenness and our stupidity, our way of taking what was good and ruining it is instead God comes in and brings life out of that death. See, he justified bringing us into his family by undoing what took us out of it in the first place. See, as much as Jesus knew that he wouldn't be on this life for long, is that he also knew what his father meant to do. You see, we like to blame the law because we like to think that even as, as Romans says, oh, well, the law increases the trespasses. Yeah, the law just takes what you did and kind of shows you point by point why what you did was so bad. The problem starts with us. And see, oftentimes, even when we try to say, yeah, but I didn't know any better. I had good intentions or everybody does it. It's like what Justice uh, Potter Stewart said with the Supreme Court when he was trying to deal with obscenity. And he says, I know it when I see it. Is that truth be told? We know the brokenness that we bring. We can see it even when we don't have someone defining it for us. And that brings us to the, to the gospel. Because I always found the temptation of Jesus to be so odd. Why in the world would it be such a big deal to just turn a rock into a piece of bread? I mean, I think that'd be pretty cool, you know? Be kind of a nice little small business, you know? You know, instead of like a lemonade stand, you could have like a bread stand, and they're like, all right, here's a piece of rock, and you're like, oh, great, I have to pretend I like this rock, kiddo, and then it turns into actual bread, and you're like, whoa, that's awesome. I mean, I would like some bread. I mean, it might be a good ciabatta. I have no idea. But he was out there for a purpose, in becoming closer with his father as he was beginning his ministry. And he knew that that would distract him. Or then the second one. Go up to the top of the temple. And man, wouldn't it be easy if all the people could just see him do something miraculous and like, oh, I'm flying. Oh, that's so cool. And oh, I guess this must be the Messiah. And yet that's not how he wanted people to know who he was because he needed to be the servant. And then put him up on the mountain and realize, you know what, all this belongs to me, you know, the prince of the power of the air, just, you know, just, just work with me and I got you. We got taken care of. And he says, no. See, we don't need a law that says, and behold, don't let Satan convince you to make bread out of rocks, to know that we are tempted by these things by the things that make us stumble. God says that he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. He, he requires that we do what is just, that we show mercy, and that we walk in humility with God. But you see, whenever we want to have mercy and humility, but we don't want to have justice, we end up becoming people who stand for nothing. Whenever we want justice and we want everybody to be humble before God, but we have no mercy, we end up condemning everybody around us. When we want justice and mercy but have no humility before God, we get the world around us 
who wants to say we don't need this God in the first place. See, we end up coming to these brokenness time and time again. But God sent his son to show us and to pay for us the new way. You see, this way doesn't wallow in saying that following God is just, well, that's just out of my hands. It's not even a possibility. But instead saying that in Christ, all things are possible. And it doesn't allow us to just let injustice have the last say. Instead, it conquers the death that we created. And it even breaks our own death. See, that's the thing about the righteousness of God is that it's not about just saying the righteousness of God is somehow about just wiping everybody out and starting over. No, the righteousness of God is saying, let me take everything you messed up and make it right again. And that's what we have in Christ. We have the one who is right and makes us right with him. So as we are going into the season of Lent, and this is the first Sunday, and we're dealing with whatever things that we need to try to set aside and to try to be back focused on who God is, what I invite you to do is to be honest in that the story that you live in, you're not the hero to fix everything in the world, and you're not the villain, you're the anti-hero. You're the one that gets to be in the middle of the story and everybody gets to watch how you keep messing things up. But then it allows us to trust and follow the actual hero that brings us the only hope of restoring what we broke. Thanks be to God.